With Fidelity Wealth Management, a dedicated advisor can work with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential. Plus, you'll have access to specialists in estate planning strategies. So you're not just growing and protecting your wealth, you're sharing it. More at fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimums apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. If you're listening to my show, you're looking for tips on how to work smarter, not harder. And let's be real. You're already working hard to earn your money. But how do you make sure that your money is working hard for you? Here's how. With a Betterment Automated Investment and Savings app, your money will go to work. They've got technology that will provide you with advanced tools, and they're built to help maximize your returns, not to mention your time. They have expert-built portfolios of low-cost exchange-traded funds. You know I love those exchange-traded funds. There's automated investing technology, and as part of that, automated rebalancing. Many of you have been asking about rebalancing, and it sort of feels like a hard thing to do on your own. With Betterment, easy peasy. They do it for you. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Welcome to the Jill on Money Show. It's Thursday, April 6th, and we are here trying to help you make better financial decisions. The way that we do that is we encourage you to go to our website, jillonmoney.com, and click the Contact Us button. Now, if you just want to be kind of below the radar, you don't want to come on the air live, no problem. Complete the form. And every so often, we'll do an email episode, usually once a week, maybe twice, we'll see. So uh, by the way, when you go on the website and you send us your note, you should also check out our unbelievable, fabulous new service. It's called Jill on Money Live. If you pay 35 bucks, you will have access, at least for one year, um, you will have access to quarterly live webinars. We just had our first ever webinar with Ed Slot. It was amazing. And if you sign up for the service right now, not only do you get the access to see that Ed Slot uh, webinar, you will also be signed up for our next webinar on June 28th with Dave Stahoviak, Coaching for Leaders. Anybody who has a job should actually be part of this. This guy is amazing. He makes everybody he touches better. He always has a really good takeaway, and that's what I love about him. So check it out. That's all part of the Jill on Money live webinar series. All right, time to do some emails. This is from Anonymous, who says, Hi, Jill and Mark. I've listened to your podcast for years. My wife and I both retired early. We love it. I'm 60, she's 65. For years, I've been asking, begging, and pleading for her to do Roth conversions while we are in lower tax brackets, and she refused. I'm a wee bit younger. I can still do them, even though it kicks us up to the 24% highest tax bracket. She just started Medicare, and I almost triggered Irma, and she yelled at me. (laughs) Irma's the extra money you have to pay for Medicare because you have too much income. So when you do a Roth conversion, it creates the income, and that means that you could be subject to Irma, which is income-related monthly adjustment amount, which is just an extra amount of money you have to pay for Medicare Parts B and D. Okay, so 
I'm resolved to pay higher taxes. I can't get it through her head that the coming required minimum distributions are going to be big. We have separate IRAs totaling $900,000. This is Ed Slot's ticking time bomb. Would it be half-baked to file our taxes separately while I convert my IRA to Roths and her Medicare Irma does not get triggered? Or should I sit back and have a beer? <laughs> Uh, Thank you. And thanks for being an out and proud gayster. That's me. Um, So this is so interesting. I guess you have to really look at it. There's two choices. First of all, you can just keep doing what you're doing and, you know, kick back and have a beer. And then maybe, maybe you just start to collect some of the money a little bit at a time and, I guess that you could possibly wait till you're 70 and a half because she's going to be 70 and a half before you. Maybe there's a way to use QCDs, um, Qualified Charitable Distributions. Okay, so what do you think, Mark, about having anonymous file separately so anonymous can convert, but not imparting that pain on the wife who's getting the Irma charge? What is is the best practice when looking at that scenario? I, I, they'd really have to get someone to run the numbers. I mean, very rarely does it make sense to file separately. You know, there's only a handful of situations. So you, you'd have to get someone to run these numbers. But I, I also wouldn't be <laughs> driving themselves absolutely crazy about this. You know, it's not worth fighting over. So you think basically have a beer is right, probably the right thing? Yeah, 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 I do. Yeah, probably. And you know what else? Um, there is also a case to be made. Like, I know that if even if you were to run the numbers, it's kind of a pain in the neck. So you have to run the numbers and also account for the fact that like, yeah, oh, now we have to file separately. If you have an account, it's going to be two returns, not one return. Um, I know that in one case where I've seen it definitely works better to file separately, it's when someone is trying to do public loan forgiveness for student loans. That I know has um, helped or to do some sort of loan consolidation. But maybe in this case as well. So maybe you get a fee-only advisor, which of course now we're just adding to the cost. Or maybe go have a beer. Good luck. Wendy writes, I've sold my home and I plan to live life as a digital nomad for the next year or so, driving around the U.S. and staying with friends and at Airbnbs and flying to some international destinations. I will not have a home during this time. Here's the question. How do I stay insured? I need to maintain auto insurance, and I would also like something resembling umbrella coverage, though I know you can really only have true umbrella coverage if you have a home. I've never been in an auto accident, but I really want to play by the rules. What if I happen to cause a major auto accident? Someone decides to sue me for everything I've got, and I appreciate your help. What do you think? Mark, she can get the auto insurance separately from homeowners. I don't know if there's like a separate liability insurance that you can use as part of auto insurance. Do you know anything about that? I don't. Usually umbrella, you know, like she said, she pointed out, you got to have the homeowner's policy and a certain level of uh, auto insurance. So I'm not sure if you can have one without the other, but she can obviously definitely have auto insurance. Yeah, you can always have auto insurance and you should. That should not be, uh, shouldn't be messing around with that. Why don't you go to Policy Genius and noodle around there and we'll see if we come up with anything on our end, okay? 
good. Uh, okay, this is from a W who has a very distinctive first name, and I'm not going to say that name. Good morning, Jill and Mark. I recently started listening to your podcast, and I enjoy your delivery. Thank you, W. I have a 529 question for you. My wife and I have three kids, 13, 11, and 6. We initially invested $5,000, and we've contributed $500 a month since their births. There have been some bigger contributions at times from grandparents. Okay, here come the balances. Wow, it's a lot. 13-year-old has 145 grand, 11-year-old 125 grand, and the 6-year-old has $58,000. My question to you and Mark, at what point do we stop contributing? What's a safe dollar amount? You know, W, this is interesting because I don't know if you're planning on paying for private or public college. If you're looking for a fully funded private four-year university, you're probably going to keep going. Um, I mean, if you, depends where, but, and we don't know really everything else going on in your life. My guess is that you would probably stop at around 200 grand each. That'll kind of mostly get you there. Not a hundred percent. If they keep doing $500 a month, for example, the 13 year old for another five years will probably have around 230 grand. Yeah. I think 200 to 250 is probably the right amount. Well, listen, and I hope and pray that they're going to public school <laughs> for your be- for your for your um, benefit, really. Um, oh, here's a here's a great one. This is from Bob. Subject: College crunch time. Three kids. Will we make it to our goal? Okay, Bob and his wife are 51 and 53. They've got two kids in their first year of college and another leaving for college in 15 months. Three kids in college at the same time. I'm going to kill myself. Right now, we have 529s for each kid. It should cover three to four years of their schooling. The plan is to take loans out for anything the 529s do not cover, which we would then help them pay off. All right, now, about these two. They're uh, 51 and 53. They've got $2.1 million in retirement assets. That's great. And largely index funds, some individual stocks. They earn about a quarter of a million bucks a year. He contributes the max to a 401k with the catch-up and gets a little match. Because of the saving that's been going into the 529, that's about all they can do. They've got 12 years left on a mortgage that is a 2% mortgage. The goal is retirement at age 60 after the kids have gotten through school. That's when they hope they amass about $3.5 million of retirement funds. Our monthly expenses, $9,500 a month. I would expect to receive $2,500 a month at the age of 62 from Social Security. Wait, 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 wait. We don't really want you to do that. We want you to, I, I want to know what the number is at your full retirement age. Do do I think you're on the right path to hitting your goals? Sure. But I got to be clear that right now for you guys, $9,500 a month generating that is going to be tough, even if you do amass $3.5 million in retirement. I think that people are really kind of kidding themselves a little bit in terms of like, we need to probably get you closer to like 4 million and it can't be 62. I think you've got to really run the numbers so that you can, maybe you get to 62 and you down, you kind of downslide a bit and don't work fully or maybe, but we need something between 62 and your full retirement age. I would not suggest that you take social security early. Absolutely not. I don't know. You didn't really mention too much about your wife, except that she is working. 
I hope you're not making extra payments on that really low mortgage. The question about should you go into a Roth versus a regular, I think probably we think a Roth is better for them, right, Mark? So he's 53. So, I mean, they already have a lot in pre-tax. So that's seven years of Roth saving. I I would do it, obviously. Yeah, I think I think we try but we would suggest a Roth. I also would suggest that you not get 62 as your like, oh, I must get to 62 and then I'll get my social security early. I don't know if that's the right thing. I really really want to know more about these folks. Okay. Um this is from, let me make sure I can say the name, Mandy, who says was listening to the other pod, the Money Watch podcast. Uh, I guess that in that podcast, I had said that she was getting the the person who I was talking to is aging out of uh, good pricing for term life insurance. And she was a year younger than I am. So I've had a small amount of insurance through my current employer. I've considered myself self-insured for a while. I've got no kids, no husband, and I'm planning to buy a newish used car with 20 grand in cash. I recently returned from a year in Antarctica. I sold most of the things when I left, so now I'm just trying to open things back up. Why do you need, you don't need life insurance. You absolutely do not. Sure, go ahead and buy a newish car with 20 grand in cash, but make sure that that doesn't eat up all of your um, emergency reserves. This is Richard who says, like all of your listeners, I'm grateful for the wisdom you impart unto us. Oh, that's nice. And all that I learned from the guidance you provide to others. And although I'm too shy to come on the air, I want to ask a question. I've been working on an overseas company assignment for the last five years. It's been fun, but I'm slated to return to the U.S. in the next six months. That's when my spouse and I plan to buy a car and a house in Illinois. We still have the proceeds from the house we sold prior to leaving the U.S. We've been aggressively savings. Oh, my God. In total, we have about $900,000 in cash for the purchase of a home, plus a little more for the purchase of a car. Oh, my God. Is there any reason we should not use all the 900 grand to make a cash offer? In other words, are we not considering some benefit of a mortgage to pay for a portion of the insurance? Let's see if they've got any other money. The reason not to use soak up all that cash is because we think you actually may need some money on the side. So they're both 52. They've got a kid in college. The money that's invested in a 529 should get the kid paid for through college. One income, $250,000 a year. A 401k savings total of $1.8 million, all traditional, and now maxing out every year with Roth. Company contributes $50,000 a year. Oh, my God. In addition to the savings from a ho- for the home, we've got a brokerage account, which is a one year of annual salary. Likely to retire in 10 years. The current expenses are going to be ten dollars to $12,000 a month. Uh, Social Security at full retirement age, five grand. Let me just be clear. I think they can spend all the money. What do you think? I might do half. I might put pay half in cash, uh, invest the other half to see how things play out in terms of the market, knowing that they could always pay it off later down the road. It sort of depends when, where interest rates are. If you can grab it, the reason to not use all that cash up is if interest rates come down and all of a sudden you get another three shot at a 3% mortgage. But if we're talking about a 6 or a 7% mortgage, yeah, I'll tell you what, you got plenty of money. You really do. 
and they're going to keep working. Here's what I think. You could do that. You could do marks. I don't think there's a great financial advantage. It's a liquidity advantage. But maybe the best maybe the best thing to do is to pay 50% or 60% cash, get a mortgage for the rest, and then we can make sure that you have that 10 years of, of uh, work ahead of you. Because like the only thing that could really blow that up and why you would need more liquidity is if you lost your job and it took a while to get it. So maybe I'll, I'll do that. But I think by the, at the end of the day, I think if you're looking at a six or a 7% or even a five and a half percent mortgage, eh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure you're going to want to put a lot of money down. Keep some out just in case. It's a good hedge, I guess. Oh, the second question is, I've been taught that a general rule of thumb for how much one house one can afford is three to five times household annual income. Do you agree with that rule of thumb? Nah, I don't love rules of thumb. I just really think we have to see like, what are your expenses and what you can afford? And that's how we decide how much you can afford for a house. All right. This is from someone who says that all of our non-retirement assets are at Schwab. We're reading Schwab has experienced concerns with bank deposits. We don't understand the issue. We've got two questions. Should we transfer some or all of our investments in kind from Schwab to Vanguard or Fidelity? And number two is if the SIPC limit is $500,000, is it worth breaking investments up and placing them at multiple brokerage firms? We do not want the headache of managing that, but it's worth it if that's a security issue. Uh, uh, I wouldn't move. I think Schwab's going to be fine. They they really are already fine. Um, if you're nervous and you want to just do that, you know, have an in-kind transfer. I, I don't know. I'm not feeling that worried about Schwab, even though I know they've been in the news. What about you, Mark? I tend to agree with you. That said, if I had all my accounts at Schwab, <laughs> knowing myself, I'd probably be in the process of opening up a uh, an account at Vanguard. Yeah. So Vanguard or Fidelity or TD Ameritrade, any of those, maybe just do it. It probably does give you peace of mind. It shouldn't be that hard to manage at this point. It really shouldn't. Uh, okay. Well, hey, thanks for listening. It's been a blast. Uh, everything that we do lives on our website, jillonmoney.com. There you can subscribe to the Jill on Money Live subscription service. You can buy my book, The Great Money Reset. You can get a free weekly newsletter. We're just, we're putting our tentacles into you and we're hoping that they stay there. Thank you very much for listening. It is always a delight. Try to do something nice for someone else today. Change your work, change your wealth, change your life. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.